And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! Another Nazi edition. Another Nazi edition. God, there are so many Nazis. Yeah. Why did we think the only worthwhile moral questions had to do with Nazis and genocide? Well, I mean, not the only one. Not the it's only, like but like four movies lot. out of a hundred, but a is disproportionate it, is it number. Only four? I don't know. Uh, maybe it's five. <laughs> but like too many. I, I just yeah. yeah. <sighs> anyway, so uh, so this week we watched an HBO original film. Uh, called Conspiracy. Yeah, I wonder uh, how well seen this movie is at this point. It's from 2001, and I don't feel like it's a movie that gets discussed very often. No, I don't think so either. I think this was kind of before the, like, HBO was doing original movies, but it was before they were doing, like, big-budget Hollywood-style original movies. They were They felt more like TV movies, and they didn't get the kind of hype that some of them do now. Yes, although Morgan was extremely impressed that they used the era-appropriate cars and spent a not tiny amount of time wondering how they got the cars that were used in Nazi Germany. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, assume, that, <clears throat> I assume that every movie studio has a, uh, a garage full of Nazi-era cars <laughs> because it's a common, a common time okay. period for movies. <clears throat> a good point that a lot of Nazi cars probably didn't survive. <laughs> right. I'm sure there are companies that specialize in renting out, you know, this uh, era of vehicles to, to studios for the, for their movies. So anyway, um, yeah, and it's a, um, I mean, it, it, it's it's probably like the driest horror I've ever watched. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how you felt about it overall. I think it's a hell of a movie. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> definitely uh, not not what you would call a fun watch. Um, it's one of those things where you see a lot of uh, actors that you really like um, in doing things that you'd really rather not see them do. And it's like it's very emotionally confusing because I'm like, oh, it's Mr. Dar- no, right, Mr. Darcy, no. <laughs> <laughs> and and Kenneth Branagh, who is kind yeah. of the lead, who is. So, I mean, he is monumentally good in this role. He is. It's true. Uh, in like, but, it, you know, he's terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's like you feel like there are several points in the movie where I did laugh a little bit and then felt immediately guilty for doing so. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think so. The movie is is based on a meeting called the Wansea Conference. Um, on January 20th, 1942, uh, where a bunch of senior Nazi officers met um, to determine the final solution. Like, that's, they, there was a plan. Right. Up to this point, they had primarily been doing deportation, had, deportation and, yeah. and putting people in ghettos and stuff. Um, this was And that wasn't working. The, there were too many. Right. Especially because they kept conquering more territory that had more. So. Right. So they needed a, a new solution. They did not need a new solution. They decided they wanted a new solution to people. Um, and, I mean, truly what is, like, the fact that we have record of this meeting does seem a little bit by chance. They, they only made, the Germans were, were good record keepers 
by and large. Like that's famously, that's part of what yeah. famously that's why we have so much uh so much that we have. But this meeting, the intent was to keep it secret. Like they, they did not want this meeting on the record per se, but they still had to make thirty copies of mm-hmm. the of the meeting notes. And yep. then destroy the rest for the for the officers who were there. And one of them was found by an investigator. Yeah, and it said it was I noticed uh, so at the at the end of the movie, and we'll get to this, I'm sure there, there's a little thing where it says like what happened to each of the people. Yeah, and the one whose whose record they had found was a guy who had been uh, arrested and executed by the Reich for conspiring against his superior officer. Yes. So I, you know, some of I guess some of his stuff didn't get taken care of <laughs> when they got rid of him, and that was the copy that survived that was eventually found. Right. So if it wasn't for that, we we probably wouldn't know that this meeting happened. Um, right, exactly. But it's interesting watching this now as someone um, as someone who's like, like my main job is like running meetings <laughs> and attending meetings. Um, uh, the thing about this movie is that in in sections, it's it's almost boring. Like it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to track everything they're saying, partly because I don't always know exactly what they're referring to, but like they deliver it in such like a a dry. Yeah, it's it's easy to drift a little bit if you're not paying attention and you don't like yes. you're not focusing on what it is that's actually being discussed. Exactly. Because it, it, you get the feeling that like they could have a meeting about supply lines that would be like 80% the same tone. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's some, there, there are some like intense moments and there are some people who, uh, you know, who, who don't love the way they're doing things and, and argue throughout, but it's mostly pretty straightforward. Here are the facts as we see them. We got to figure out how to deal with this problem. Right. Um, it is, I mean, it is functionally a boring business meeting. Like, that's right. what it is. <laughs> um, it just happens to be a boring business meeting about murdering 6 million people, or 20 million people, I think, was the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's an interesting... I personally have, over the years, gotten a little tired of Nazi movies frequently, not... But a lot of the time, it just feels like they're just um, like they're just the default uber bad guy. And they're not always done in a way that I find compelling or interesting. It just feels caricature-y sometimes, Um, which Mm -hmm. is not to say that the Nazis don't deserve to be caricatured, but just that it doesn't make for the most. uh, This is different. Like this is this is what it's like to be in a boring meeting. But like and and I think the just the the horror is in the dryness and the, like, yes, there are people who are not happy with how it's being played out. But to be clear, it is not because they're upset about murdering Jews. Right. See, this is Colin Firth <laughs> in particular. His character is is kind of fascinating in a horrifying way because he's there's two there's two main guys who are kind of like objecting to to what's being proposed here. And he's one of them. And, you know, he's clearly not, like, taking what 
you know, from the beginning, he's clearly not taking what we would call like a respectable moral stance or anything like no. that. But but it does kind of seem like he's like his objection is like this is going too far. But eventually, as he talks, you realize that his actual only objection is this. This is against the law as written. And he's right. the person who wrote a lot of the law. And he's worried about the bureaucratic nightmare that will result if they set aside the written law to do all this. He's not, well, partly, he has no moral compunctions I, about it at all. No, he has no compunctions about killing the Jews. That's true. But no, it, it's not just the bureaucratic nightmare, although it is also the bureaucratic nightmare. He is worried about, I think, a more, um, what he would consider a, a, a nobler cause, um, a more like general thing of like, if we don't obey the law, then, you know, we are harming the German people. If we do not like at some point when he's sort of towards the towards the end of his arguments, he's like, you know, there is not a law for this. And if we are going to do this, we have to write a legal structure in place for one. Like we we can't just do this. We need a structure in place that allows us to legally do this, because that would then mean that like like that it's it's important for the Germans to be following the laws it's fine if they rewrite the laws, but you can't just you can't just ignore the laws. Right. And he he has this interesting this interesting little bit where he talks about how so many of the the other people in the room seem to regard uh, Jewish people as as animals as mm-hmm. like a subhuman group that can be exterminated without concern for things like law. Uh, and he is very clear that. He does not consider that to be true. Uh, he considers them to be fully human and very intelligent, uh, but he still thinks they need to be exterminated. So he thinks it needs to be done in a way that re- that recognizes their humanity uh, while still exterminating them. And that if they if they don't do that, then they'll be they'll, they'll be, be martyred. Well, right, and and the rest of the world will look on what the Nazis did as as wrong. Right. But he he believes that if they if they do it while acknowledging the humanity of, of the Jewish people, that they will eventually be celebrated for it, which is. Which his solution a, for this is to, is to, um, is to. Sterilization. Sterilize. He's pushing for, yeah. Every, every <laughs> person with Jewish blood, basically. Right. Um, and the Nazis are not interested in this. They want a much more, uh, a much quicker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Getting rid of them. Um, but it is it is mostly a discussion about it is a discussion about policy and practicalities mm-hmm. of like what with a bunch of men who have various uh, ego elements in the room. Right. And they also have sometimes different and conflicting priorities because there's like a bunch of people who are uh commanders from the Eastern Front who are right. very concerned about maintaining their labor force. And there's people from the cities in Poland who are very concerned about the fact that disease in the ghettos is starting to spread into the rest of the city. And so there's all these different uh, different priorities. Trying and if to that sounds horrifyingly cold, it is. Like, mm-hmm. that's the, <laughs> like, not, I mean, like, it's, it's like, like truly one of the one of the worst faces of evil I think is bureaucratic. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a 
there is a separation for the most part. Like they know they're all they know they're all on the same page. None of them are upset about the idea of murdering Jews. They are upset about the policy and the and, well, the, and the practicalities. So there's there is one guy at the table who is oh, upset by the the proposition of simply exterminating them all. Evacuating uh, and, them, Joel. Right, that's the term they're right. Even even within the meeting, they're using this sort of coded language because they know it's being recorded. Well, and there uh, was a there was a moment where one of them stands up and said, like, because he because Kenneth Branagh kept saying evacuate, and mm-hmm. uh, one, a soldier stands up and says, "Look, like, um, I helped shoot like twenty seven thousand Jews or something. Like, did we evacuate them?" Right. Is that what happened? Right. It's important um, to be to, that everyone at the table understand what these terms mean. To be, yeah, we have to be yeah. clear with our language. Um, and yeah, there is a the, it, it's uh, and Kenneth Branagh says yes, um, mm-hmm. even though Stanley Tucci is like maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> right. Right. Stanley Tucci is Eichmann, uh, who at this point is Eichmann kind of became infamous as as the head of the the effort to exterminate the Jews but at this point he is second in command to uh Kenneth Branagh's Heydrich I believe is his name yeah who died yeah he was killed by resistance fighters a few years later good for them um, that was Tom Hiddleston as the phone operator I yeah, thought it was he's like fourth build on the letterbox cast list but he only he's only on screen like three times is it an order of appearance though I think it's an order of appearance no because Kenneth Branagh is listed first and he doesn't show up till after everybody else oh he's not listed first on IMDB on IMDB I think it's by order of appearance it's like okay. the first person listed is the maid oh okay. so, maybe maybe letterbox has like a combination of yeah I don't know but yeah, Kenneth Branagh is at the bottom of the basic litter. Anyway, but um, but yeah. So I mean, I feel like watching it now. I've just I've been to so many meetings. Somewhere things got done, and somewhere things didn't. Obviously, nothing like this. But um, but like, it makes like the the format makes sense to me, and I it, that was sort of more horrifying. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't say I have a lot of experience with the uh, with that sort of thing. Yeah, but. the thing they don't tell you while you're in social work school is that ninety percent of your job will be meetings. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I imagine they want to keep that from you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so I mean, ultimately, like Kenneth Branagh has an agenda. He knows what is supposed to happen. He knows who's going to carry it out. And his job at this Hydric at this meeting is to um, is to make everyone else be on the same page. Like, right. Make sure that everyone understands that he's the one running this, because again, this is this sort of the, 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 the Nazi method of dealing with this question up till now has been kind of scattered throughout different agencies. Mm-hmm. So part of what's going on here is that it is all being brought under his command. Uh, so he is he, honestly CSS. like what I kept, right. What I kept thinking was that he, he runs this meeting like a mob boss. Like he's very like, bright and friendly at the beginning and for the most part he is like you know let's upbeat let's get through this uh and then we can all have lunch kind of yeah um but he's also like anytime he gets pushback he he does the thing where he just immediately goes into like solid wall mode and just stares whoever it is down until they back down yep uh it's and when that doesn't work with colin firth they go on break and he takes him aside 
and it's, and threatens him with the mm-hmm. SS, but like very friendly. Right. Is, he, he says, and he does the same thing with a couple people. Yeah, it's like you either have to decide now or you're going to, you know, you you got a choice to make. You're either making it now or later, but you're going to answer for it either. <laughs> like right, and like he, like he tells Colin Firth, like, you know, we don't want the, like, we don't want the bullies. And I must admit there are bullies in the SS to win out. We don't want them to suddenly take an interest in you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, Mr. Darcy is like, I can't remember his character's name, um, is like, take an interest in me. And he just kind of looks at him as like, you don't think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, right, because, uh, Cause it has been, the suggestion has been raised at the table that maybe his objections to this are because he has some secret love of Jewish people, which he makes clear is not the case, but he's kind of floating like, you know, that idea is clearly out there and you might want to get in front of that. Right. And, and the side conversations are also interesting because again, they do feel <laughs> like, they do feel like the fact of the matter is that people having dry business meetings all kind of talk the same, but it's just that their like topic of small child talk is Jews. Mm-hmm. Like that's Stanley Tucci tells a whole story about how he got a rabbi to teach him to teach him Hebrew, and he. Uh, the rabbi ended up getting arrested. Well, he realized he had been stupid and made a mistake because he had paid him a little bit of money. Um, and he realized later that that was dumb because he could have just had him arrested and forced him to give him lessons. And then later, the rabbi went out unadvisedly mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and was picked up. And he's just like, they're so stupid. Like, didn't he know I would have protected him? I mean, at least so my lessons were done. Right. But <laughs> and it's like, it's like a fine joke. Everyone is... You know, like all of these men have are coming from different fronts. They have, like Joel said, like they have slightly different goals and stuff. But they also all more if they don't know each other directly, they mostly know of each other. And they're all like in the same room, having the same having the same conversations. And they're all like they would be boring and banal if they weren't so horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so it's uh, also Stanley Tucci looks weird because he's wearing a toupee. That's true. Yeah. His hairline is Morgan was like, why does Stanley Tucci look so weird? And I was like, that is not his hairline. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> a minor uh, point, but true. it is a minor point, but it's noticeable <laughs> if you've watched a lot of Tucci. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. What, what else do you want to talk about with this movie? Well, sure. we, we got to talk about the other doctor, uh, Dr. Kritzinger, who was sure. the guy who was objecting to all of this. Um, because he's the one that I find him, if, if you want to talk about drawing, you know, possible comparisons to current events or uh, current political attitudes, I think he's the key because his whole thing was like, yeah, we've, we've made them second-class citizens, we've rounded them up and put them in ghettos, we're forcing them to do our labor for us. But I was assured by the Fuhrer himself that we would draw the line at at exterminating them. Yes, and when he says that, Kenneth Heydrich looks at him and says, and you will continue to be assured that. He will continue to tell you that. But, (laughs) but you know, this this guy thinks he's making a moral stand, right? Because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even I mean he's he is the only one in the room even willing to make that stand uh, but he thinks he's the hero 
in like he thinks he's Henry Fonda in Twelve Angry Men. Yes, like which I was. I thought um, the, the the comparisons to Twelve Angry Men are are obvious. I think uh, you know the whole movie is just a group of guys having one big conversation in a single room that is occasionally broken up by smaller side conversations between pairs or or trios. Um, we'll get to that movie. I think. I think we watched yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I believe we did. Um, <clears throat> but if it, it is a, it's a, it's an obvious comparison to make. Um, but that's that's clearly how he sees himself, mm-hmm. and he's he so clearly kind of looks down on everyone else at the table for for being willing to take these extreme measures. Um, but you know he's he's perfectly happy to take the the everything but this last step. Um, yeah, I mean, he he also thinks that the Jews are are bad. Like again, I think it's it's comparable in some ways to to Colin Farrell's character Strucker Earth. in or first not yeah. Farrell, first um, to Colin first character Strucker, which is that um, which is that like it's bad for the Jewish people or German people rather, not Jewish people. Mm-hmm. It's bad for the German people to, like, he doesn't think that they should be doing this. It's not because he cares about the Jews. It's more, that's my impression. Well, but part of, I, I think he was a little bit farther back down the line than than the Stuckart character because part of his thing was that, like, he had been assured that they, not only just that they wouldn't be exterminated, but that they would be provided with livable conditions. Like, that was right. part of that was part of his thing was that, and you know that was supposedly the idea of the ghettos was that they were they were just being they were they were being sectioned off but they weren't being you know but then obviously they just pile more and more people in there and it becomes unlivable pretty fast but that was that was the the delusion that he was holding on to was that he had been promised that that they would be provided with livable conditions yeah um apparently by hitler himself <laughs> which is weird to think about now but uh <clears throat> I think there's a interesting and and depressing parallels with a lot of uh, a lot of modern politicians and political activists uh, with that sort of attitude. I think the the current Republican attitude in this country is probably only a few steps short of where he is. Right. And you know, and then there are obviously a few people who maybe more than a few people who who go well beyond where he is. Right. Uh, but. I don't know how, you know, I, I don't know what the, you know, whether the, the intention of the filmmaker was to to draw parallels to current political landscape. But uh, again, the movie came out in 01, so I guess would have been made pre-9-11, which was obviously a big sea change for all of these things. Um, but the guy, did you, did you look at the Frank Pearson, the guy who directed it? Uh, no, I didn't. So I haven't seen any of his other stuff, but he seems to have he he's he has twelve features listed on his letterbox. The only one that I was really familiar with was he was the guy who directed the seventies version of A Star Is Born, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is generally considered to be the worst one. Although I know it does have people who like it, but other than that, he seems to have directed primarily like a series of like issues movies. Mm. Like he has a movie called Soldiers Girl that was apparently about a. Uh, uh, a U.S. soldier who was uh, murdered by his fellow soldiers because he was dating a trans woman. Oh. Um, he has he has a movie called Citizen Cone, which is a about a, a lawyer who is dying of AIDS. 
Uh, he has one called Dirty Pictures that was about a, a lawsuit against a Cincinnati museum director because he displayed uh, some sadomasochistic photographs. Uh, so he seems to be very, like, uh, politically slash sort of activist motivated. He's also, uh, they're also mostly TV movies. Um, Soldiers, Soldiers Girl is not, at least according to IMDb, but um, <clears throat> almost every other movie he's directed except for A Star is Born and King of the Gypsies um, are listed as TV movies. That makes sense, yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, he, he's dead now. He died in 2012. That makes sense because he looks quite old. He was, in he was his, 87. In his picture here, yeah. Apparently he, uh, he, he wrote Dog Day Afternoon. And got an and Oscar pre- for it. And presumed innocent and cool hand Luke. Oh, yeah. I didn't even... Okay. So, yeah, he's better known as a writer than a director, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I haven't seen Presumed Innocent, but, of course, Dog Day Afternoon and Cool Hand Luke are also very much issues, movies. True. In maybe, maybe a slightly less uh, on-the-nose kind of way. But, so, yeah, um, uh, you know, I, I suspect that uh, he had some of this in mind. In writing this movie, because that seems to be his his mo. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that does seem to be the case. Um, it is. I mean, I, I will say I, I do think if you have the stomach for it, it's it's worth watching. I think. I mean, I do think that especially right now, it is. Sometimes the focus I feel like on <clears throat> some of this stuff is on the really dramatic moves. The fact of the matter is that I think most of the worst things are made in boring meetings mm-hmm. full of men with, I mean, in this case, it's literally rooms full of men with smoking cigars, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like that, the, the most, the most, most, many of the most horrifying decisions are just made by groups of men and sometimes women as well, you know, behind closed doors, incredibly pragmatically. And with all sorts of justifications as to why it must be done, right? Whatever the thing is. Well, and and what the it, as, as eventually kind of plays out in the course of this meeting, the sort of the pretext of it is like we're getting all of these these minds together to like hash out a plan, right? But what eventually comes out is that the plan's already made and in motion. Like mm-hmm. this is it's already happening. The real goal of this meeting is just to get everyone to verbally consent to it, basically. Right, like he's already he's already set it up. He says they'll be killing Jews next. Right, month. they've already done the math. They they already have the whole schedule lined up. They're, yes. They've got these like portable trucks for for gassing people that they're sending around to different camps, and they're in the process of building the now infamous large scale gas chamber mm-hmm. concentration camps. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's the thing that eventually comes out is that in 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 the end in the long run, this meeting doesn't really matter. Like yeah. it doesn't really matter what any of these guys say. They it's already happening. And this guy It matters in that all authority. of these people these people are here not to not to determine whether this happens. These people are here to make sure they are on the same page to make it happen. Because they do right. need all they do need these people to be helping. Right. And and capacity. as we talked about, he he makes it quite clear to them what will happen to them if they right. decide not to cooperate. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's yeah the, the it's not really an issue of deciding it's it's already happening yeah he has he has one little one little bit where he's just going through the i think it was um Tucci's character Eichmann was basically going through the numbers of how efficient these gas chambers were going to be once they had them all up and running mm-hmm. uh that it's just 
chilling, I think mm-hmm. is the word. And they're all like, you know, their reaction to it for the most part is to be sort of like in awe. They're all yeah. impressed. Yeah, I think that's the best word for it, for sure. So, so that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it is, I, I do think it, I do think there's merit if you are, if you have the stomach for it, I do think there is well, merit in thinking about, about really just like how, <laughs> like how, how much evil takes place through policy. Good too, for the record, it can go the other way, but um, mm-hmm. how, how many horrible things happen in the most boring ways? <laughs> like yeah, people are I mean, twirling their mustaches. They're, they're reading through lists of numbers. <laughs> Right. Like. I mean, I I would I would go a step beyond saying that it's worthwhile. I, I I think this kind of thing is important. I mean, there's the every once in a while you'll see extremely depressing polls about the the knowledge level that people yeah. today have about the kind of things that actually went on. And, you know, that's a problem. That's a major problem that's not gonna yeah. get better as time goes on. Yeah. No, um true. I remember thinking when we first saw this movie that it would make an extremely difficult, but I think extremely worthwhile double feature with um, the documentary Night and Fog, mm. uh, which was a documentary about Auschwitz um, put together from footage actually shot by the by the Nazis at the time, yeah. um, which is one of the possibly the most disturbing movie I've ever seen. It's been quite a while since I've seen it, but... Uh, mm. And that, that's, it's only like half an hour long. So you could watch the two of them and it would only be two hours. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be, I think that's the kind of thing they should be, you know, showing high schoolers in school. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. No, I, it's, I, I it's going to, solid. it's going to be more and more of a problem going forward. If people don't know this stuff, they don't, if people don't understand how this stuff happened and then sure. what it, what it looked like when it actually happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think this is the this movie is I think it's kind of unfortunate that it seems to be uh relatively obscure. So go watch it. Yeah, go check it out. It it is on HBO and you know H, it, HBO Max is seems to be a a thriving platform these days after its embarrassing stumble out of the gates. It's still not uh, a great platform but <laughs> Well, but it's putting out a lot of good stuff and people yeah. are using it. It's usable now. That's true. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, people will continue to find it because it's on there and it has people in it that... That's, yeah. I, I assume that's how people who don't, like, know movies really... I assume that's how they find stuff to watch on, right? Like, people might say, oh, Tom Hiddleston's in this. And yeah, decide I mean, to probably. Watch it, right? Like, <laughs> I don't so. know. I haven't been a person who doesn't know movies in such a long time that I feel like I don't know. I know. It's a, it's a Every once in a while, into, it just doesn't happen so much now because theaters are not very busy. But particularly in the before the pandemic times, um, when I would go to theater and every once in a while, I would end up behind someone who was there who was deciding what they were going to watch. Yeah, right. They get up the to the spot. front of the line and they're like, oh, what should I watch? It's I like they're, we'll at, they're at McDonald's and they got to decide what to order. Right. What's playing? Yeah. I was just like, yeah. what, what, who are you? Like. <laughs> what's happening it's so weird to me but um the other thing i want to make sure we say about this because i do think that this is the thing that really like drives the horror home is that afterwards they do tell you what happened right to each of these men yeah no i wanted to talk about this too because the the number of these guys who died of old age yeah uh, one the the like one of them died three years after i was born yeah uh, like, and, and one of them a, died two years before. But a like few of them, a few of them were killed during the war. 
Um, there were at least a couple of them that were executed. Eichmann was famously executed, although not till the 60s. Yeah, I think two or three of them um, were executed. But there were at least five or six of them who died of old age. A number of them, uh, of those, like a number of them, the one who died three years after I was born um, was arrested for war Right, crimes. they went, went through the, the um, Nuremberg trials and they let him go released for lack, for of, lack evidence. of evidence right which is particularly damning considering the fact that if i recall correctly i might have this wrong but if i recall correctly it said that the the trans the the one transcript of this meeting that survived was found in 1947 and i think the nuremberg trials went into the late 40s early 50s so at least a couple of these guys they probably had this transcript I guess maybe it wasn't. I don't know if it was if the transcript was an, was an exhibit at the Nuremberg trials or not. I, I don't know who who had it or when it was actually made public. But there were at least a couple of guys who were at this meeting who were eventually who were arrested and tried and released for lack of evidence, which is. And then that gentleman went and became a tax attorney or something. Yeah, tax advisor, I think. Tax advisor that, yeah. and just died in 1987 of old age. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention also that. Um, that uh, the conference itself only lasted about 90 minutes. Like, mm-hmm. it lasted about the time of the meeting. This was not even, like, an all-day deal. This was relatively short. Yeah, no, it was it was before lunch. <laughs> the, there was supposed to be a buffet lunch afterwards. That was, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's apparently a, there's a, a, a museum in West Germany... Uh, at the house where the event, where the the ones the Wannsee house, um, in 1992 on the 50th of enter- anniversary of the conference, the site was opened as a Holocaust memorial and museum, known as the House of the Wannsee Conference. The museum also hosts permanent exhibits of texts and photographs that document the events of the Holocaust and its planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second floor houses. Um, a large collection of books on the Nazi era and other materials, such as microfilms and original Nazi documents. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, so mo- the vast majority of these men, uh, they didn't all survive till the eighties, but, uh, the vast majority of them lived like relatively long lives mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, presumably died fine, <laughs> like, which is the thing, right? Like the Nuremberg trials are, are singular in a lot of ways. We've really never had anything, I don't believe, quite like that in other ways. But there was still a limited, like, the the men that they were able to um, execute for these crimes were men that they had so much on that it couldn't be, like, it needed to be, you know, absolutely beyond, beyond doubt. Right. Um, and so, so many men got away or, with it. Yeah, or I think some also who straight up confessed. Yeah. I think there was there was some of that too, I think, but yeah. So, fun times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to say about this? No, I don't think so. Okay. So go watch it. It's on HBO. It's, uh, and if you have high school kids, maybe make them watch it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, Night and Fog is up on Criterion. If you want, oh, there you go, there you go. <laughs> if, you want, if you want that double feature, <laughs> yeah, it'd be, oh. it'd be a tough one, but I think I think worth doing. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay, 
well, do we want to find out what we're watching next? Yeah. We're uh, to 57, Joel. We're getting so close seven. to halfway there. Okay. What's number 48? 48. <laughs> 48 is Sophie Scholl. More Nazis. Are you serious? I forgot we watched that one. Okay. Yeah. I was, incidentally, I was sort of in my head um, after we had that brief exchange at the start about how many Nazi movies. I think I said four, maybe five. Uh, but I, I ended up remembering a couple more just while we were doing that opening bit of talking. And I had forgotten about this one. So I think we're up to seven. <laughs> yeah, I seriously think it was close to a tenth of the movies we watched. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't I have I have very little memory of this one. Um I think I only saw it the one time. Sophie and her brother were like They were like Christian martyrs. So right. I think it was one of those movies that like at least there were there was a, a small number at least of uh of Christians who knew about it and pushed it as a you know, look how good the Christians were during the Right. Yeah. Um I don't remember the movie well enough to remember if uh, if it actually has that kind of propagandistic bent to it or if it's a little better than that. Hopefully it's a little better than that. Fingers crossed. We'll find out. <laughs> so, more Nazis. <laughs> Is that one available anywhere? Um, it looks like it says it's available on Mubi. I assume that means like the Amazon Mubi. Do you have access to the Amazon Mubi? So your movie plan? I don't, I just still don't understand that layout. So they do have movie does have a permanent collection um, that I think I can get to. <laughs> um, it's it uh, also says it's available but, on Kino for rent or purchase. I don't I haven't okay. used that. Uh, yeah, I, I'd have to click around a little bit because Mubi definitely still prioritizes the like their thirty day cycle through thing, and that's kind of what I focus on. But I think there is a an actual like larger collection like on amazon it is not that prioritized like the amazon movie has a bunch like the one time i went to it i was like oh no i hate this this is mm. not nearly as clean and pretty <laughs> okay cool. um but yeah so i assume that if uh, yeah i i, I assume <laughs> i assume that you can that you can watch that um through your thing but i don't know yeah, we'll have to see. I don't, I'm not totally sure either. But regardless. So it's been it's been three weeks. Yeah. So let's let's get to the fun part here after all this. I've been slowing a little bit, so um, okay. I haven't watched as many. I have I have a few. I would say maybe slightly more than average. So. Maybe we'll actually even out this time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm looking at your list, but uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I feel like we should start by because last last recording, you may recall, I had just seen The Northman, and you were seeing it later That's that true. day, and you had just seen The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and I was seeing that later. I do know day. what you thought because we saw you at the theater after you watched it. Right, but I, I, I feel like it's worthwhile to start with those two. Uh, sure, that makes sense. We could, That way we can both talk about... <laughs> uh, so, as as I'm sure undoubtedly listeners will recall, uh, I did like The Northman quite a bit, uh, but it was very weird, um, and I was still... 
a little bit. I was still I was still weighing things around a little bit, and I think I still am. Okay. I'm curious to know what you thought of it. Um, I I mean, there's no denying Eggers' skill and remarkable fixated talent on certain things. Um, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it's out there in the world. I was kind of bored by the end. Um, uh-huh. I am, I'm glad it got made. I'm glad someone gave him the millions of dollars to make this weird movie. Um, was it for me? No, not really, but I, I wasn't super expecting it to be. So like, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, uh, there was a few like cool, Cool scenes. I did appreciate, and I do think it's worth calling out that in a movie that is largely about like Vikings and stuff pillaging and whatever, there there is no rape shown on screen. Yeah, I kind of kept expecting to at least see that like in the right, like to see it, like and we see (laughs) we see women getting carted off, and like clearly that's the implication. But I do appreciate that he did not feel the need to put that on screen. I, I, and I yep. think that's worth noting because I think Eggers has more restraint than people give him credit. For. Oh, I think he so too. Use, he just doesn't use it in the way that people want him to. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I think so too. And I, I just, I just wanted to point it out because I actually do think it's, it's worth mentioning. And I feel like yeah. uh, people don't like people may, may, may justifiably worry about rapes in a movie about pillaging Vikings. And Agreed. it is very violent, but, um, but not sexually violent in that way. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was good. But um, no, I mean, it was it was fine. It, I, I gave it uh, three and a half. I can't okay. imagine watching it again. So Fair. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's about what I believe. That's pretty much what you predicted yeah, in yeah. the last the last. I would have loved to love it. Like I would have loved to be. Yeah. <laughs> for the record, I would have loved to be wrong and to have been like really into it. Um, but. Uh, you know, it, it, as it turned out, at least I didn't hate it, so right. it wasn't like I was actively yeah, upset have, watching it. <laughs> like, yeah. So you know, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and then, so uh, yeah, I I went to see the the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah. Uh, the later on the day we recorded the last episode, um, and I think I think you and I had very similar views mm-hmm. on it. It was it was pretty funny. I enjoyed the buddy com- comedy element quite a lot. Um, I tend to it, it it had a lot of parallels with adaptation, which mm. of of course is a very, I mean, adaptation is a movie about a guy trying to adapt a book, but his adaptation of the book becomes about him trying to adapt the book, right? And then what happens in the movie? becomes the adaptation (laughs) it's it's just got layer after layer of meta stuff like that um and this movie has like it has like one layer of that (laughs) so it's uh there's there's parallels there but it's it's obviously not as it's obviously not as as well written and as sort of uh labyrinth and as adaptation is um but it was fun i i would like to see Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage do another just like straight up buddy comedy together. Yes. Cause they were, they were great together. It seemed like they were really having a ball and some of the, honestly, like, you know, one of the things that has become like a very overdone thing in comedies for adults these days is a drug trip scene. But I thought the one in this movie was pretty great. Uh, I think, yeah, the, no, I agree. It's, yeah. I think the biggest laugh I got in the whole movie was they were like sitting in this village and they were both <laughs> high on acid yeah. and, 
Pedro Pascal, or I think it was Pedro Pascal, thought that two random people sitting across from them were watching them. Yes. And so they're both like freaking out. And he wants to look at them again to see if they're still looking. But Nicolas Cage is like, no, you can't just look at them. So maybe do like a fake laugh or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Pascal turns, looks directly at them, and then starts the fakest laugh you've ever heard in your life. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was very funny, very well played. That was a very funny moment. Uh, you know, yeah, it turns out this Pedro Pascal character is uh, is very charming as a... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm glad to see his his star rise. Agreed. He's he's quite excellent. Yes. Uh, but, but you know, the movie eventually turns into a, 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 I mean, it turns into the sort of action, like espionage, shoot 'em up chase movie kind of thing that Nicolas Cage has done a lot of. Right. Uh, but I don't think it has the budget to really pull it off. Mm-hmm. And it is in, a, in the, for the most part, it's just less interesting than the the scenes of just the two of them yeah. which is it, it's a weird thing because like i feel like the movie knows that because again when they're talking about like the two of them are writing the screenplay together right and they're talking about how like no one wants to see movies that are just two guys talking we'll never get money for that <laughs> so we, have to, we have to put something exciting in it right, right? but like lampshading it doesn't make it uh... <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, like i i wish that this were the movie that the two of them were talking about wanting to make in this movie yes i agree <laughs> I feel like i would have i would have liked it more but it's a lot of fun yeah. i really enjoyed it so yeah agree. yeah okay so now that we've got that out of the way uh we should probably just go back to our regular probably so uh so do you want to go first or should i uh you go first okay so on April 26th, <laughs> which, as you may or may not know, is Alien Day. I did not know that, but good to know. Uh, it is. Okay. Uh, because the the planet that, if I remember correctly, the planet that they find the alien on uh, has, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it has the numbers 426 in the designation of the planet, and someone has decided that that makes it Alien sure. Day. Um, so I watched Alien. May and I watched it. May had never seen it. Uh, Alien's basically a perfect movie. Uh, No, no, uh, no big revelations there. (laughs) But I hadn't watched it. I hadn't watched it in in a few years, and uh, it's fat. I mean, it's it's sort of uh, its version of like what future tech looks like is one of my favorites. Uh Uh, sort of like a dirtier version of what you see in Star Wars. <laughs> there are definitely like sort of design crossover elements between the ship in Alien and the Millennium Falcon, but everything looks dirtier. <laughs> and obviously, H.R. Giger's famous design work of the Alien and all that is is brilliant. And yeah, great stuff. If you've never seen Alien, it's worth. Go watch Alien. Yeah. Um. And then on the last day of April, it was Valpurgis knocked. Uh, and that which is like a do you know what Valpurgis knocked is? I, I don't. It's a it's um I mean it's a saint's day for a saint named Valpurgis, but it's she was the the patron saint of like protection against witchcraft. Okay. I think, among other things. And Valpurgis knocked is supposed to be it's the the six month point after uh, Halloween. Uh, so it is sort of uh, traditionally 
in like pagan circles, it's supposed to be like one of the one of the nights when you know there's the witchcraft is especially active. And okay, it's a big deal for people who are into like folk horror stuff. So I figured we should mark the occasion uh, and watch The Wicker Man, which I had only so and in in The Wicker Man, in fact, the events of The Wicker Man take place on on Valpurgis. I had only seen The Wicker Man once. This is the original, not the Nicolas Cage one, uh, which I have not seen. I kind of wanted to watch that in in preparation for, you know, as part of my Nick Cage preparation, but didn't get around to that one. So I rewatched the original, which is a fucking great movie. You've seen that, right? Uh, yeah. I, I've yeah. seen both. Uh, I've seen the original several times. Oh, okay. I, I, I love the original so much. It's it's incredible. So the, it's it really is. It's fascinating, though, because... I feel like it's a stretch to call The Wicker Man a horror movie. I mean, the end is pretty it's, horrifying. <laughs> I guess, but like, I feel like large parts of it play out as more of a comedy than a horror movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true. Um, but people talk about it as being like one of the most frightening movies ever made. And I don't, I, I don't feel like I relate to that view of the movie, but it's such a good movie. Also, no one talks about it being a musical, um, which I don't understand because it is. Right. <laughs> yeah, it very much is. And that, that, well, and that is part of what, at least for me, kind of undercuts the, I say undercuts, that makes it sound like a bad thing, but that goes against the, the idea of it being a horror movie because the music is like, a lot of it is downright goofy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all like very chipper and, uh, you know, it's it's like upbeat folk songs mm-hmm. and like it's fun. Yeah, it's a fun movie. It's great. Yeah. It's and great. <laughs> there's also like um, Hot Fuzz, which is a movie that I love. Definitely uh, has a lot of nods to The Wicker Man. I realized watching it this time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, great movie. If you've never seen that one, that's a, a one of the. Probably, I was for it's got Christopher Lee in it, and other than his late career turn as Saruman in the Lord of the Rings and his earlier work as Dracula, this is probably his most famous role. Mm, yeah, maybe I think, and you know, he was in like 200 movies or some ridiculous thing. So, um, <clears throat> and then of course, a few days later, we had May the 4th, of course. So, I, I've got my I've got a lot of themed, yeah, I see that. themed movie watching going on here. I went back and forth a little bit on which one to watch. I ended up watching The Force Awakens. I don't think I had seen it since the theater. Um, I still really like The Force Awakens, even though it becomes more and more clear to me watching it. The entire plot of that movie is just a series of shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the you know, just as a few random examples uh, what's her, is it? Maz is her name, the character that Lupita Nyongo. Ah, uh, yeah, that voices. sounds right. She has Luke's old lightsaber in her basement, and there's never any explanation just for she why. She just has it there. Han, Han literally asks her, "How did you get that?" And she says, "That's a good story. I'll tell you another time." <laughs> <laughs> so the, like, there's, it's, and the whole plot is structured like that. Yeah, it's, it's like you know they they. Uh, um, you have Ray and Finn es- trying to escape from the the thugs on on uh, what was the planet called the not Tatooine planet the other desert planet sure. Jakku, yeah. and they're running through this like junkyard of ships trying to get to one that they can fly away in and it gets blasted and so they have to take this other heap of junk which of course turns out to be the Millennium Falcon Obviously. it just happens to be sitting there sure yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they t- so they take off in the Millennium Falcon and then in the vastness of space they bump into Han and Chewie. <laughs> 
the whole the whole plot is just a series of that. That's the entire thing. But I like the characters in it so much that I don't care. I still really enjoy it. I re- I think Ray is probably my favorite Star Wars character. Ray is great. Um, uh, Finn was great in this one. They he th- they did less and less with him as this series went on, and by the time it ended, it was, I mean, criminal, honestly. Uh, but he was great in this, and obviously Oscar Isaac. Uh, more on him later, uh, but he was all he's also a lot of fun in this role. Like, the, oh, and, and I mean, even like the whole thing with the First Order. Like, at the end of the last series, they conquered the Empire and set up a new republic and then when this one starts it's like yeah there's this first order thing that is the remnants of the empire and i guess they're at war with the republic and there's also this resistance movement but it's never clear how the three all relate to each right? other really yeah. they just don't bother explaining <laughs> it really is like it's it's legitimately almost embarrassing like how little work they went it went into making this screenplay hold together as like a, a coherent piece of a larger picture. Uh, but I still really like it anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I don't know that I'll ever have the fortitude to rewatch the last one. Yeah, I get that. It was so bad, but, uh, I think at some point, I think at some point we will probably, um, we'll probably do a star Wars thing at this point. When Morgan and I move in together, hopefully in Bellingham, and maybe you can come hang out. Um, mm-hmm. I we want to do we want to restart the Marvel universe and do like Marvel days. Oh uh, yeah. And Morgan will do themed drinks and food and shit because they're a nerd like that. But um, nice. So at some point, yeah. probably we'll do you know we'll finish Marvel eventually and do something else. And I, yeah. I suspect that Star Wars is one of those things. So many of them I have not I have not watched any of the new trilogy since theaters or any of the prequels since theaters. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I feel like you I you never rewatched any of the prequels, really? I saw all the prequels a bunch of times. I think I saw parts of episode one a bunch of times because you and Jared watched a bunch. Like I, I definitely mm-hmm. remember like seeing the um the lightsaber fight with Darth Maul um period. Right. But like in snippets. Like I don't think I watched the whole movie. I think I just like Okay. Yeah. So so yeah, someday, someday we'll do that. But um, yeah. yeah, in the meantime, I have not seen any of these movies since theaters, and uh, and definitely the the final one left a real bad taste in my mouth. So yeah, <laughs> that really is a shame. Yeah, um, and I I also I I really like uh, Kylo Ren as a villain too. I think I thought he was a great character. Agreed. I, I'm a big fan of Adam Driver, and I didn't like where that went either. So. Anyway, that's a whole, yeah. Um, okay, so next up, uh, you may recall quite a while ago I talked about having watched the first of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. Yes. Uh, which is a classic samurai series about a, uh, a um, what's the word, for like a, a ronin, like a wandering samurai mm-hmm. uh, with his toddler son who, who roams around the countryside fighting people with various weapons that he has hidden in his toddler's uh, stroller. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a whole series of these and Criterion has a box set of them that I bought a while back and I finally got around to watching the second one um, last week. It is called Lone Wolf and Cub Baby Cart at the River Sticks. Sure. 
Um, most of the titles in this series have the term baby cart in them. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it has a lot of like they, they were made in the early 70s. So they're like they're late enough that they can they can have a lot of like sort of ridiculous uh, like blood spurting limbs hacking off kind of stuff in the action sequences. But it's all like fakey enough that it's just fun to watch, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it, <laughs> he has all these, like, he has like blades that are like hidden within this baby cart that he can like push levers and they pop out and he shoves the cart at enemies and it cuts off their ankles. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's very ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to eventually getting through the rest of that series. Um, <clears throat> I watched the um, Stephen Chow movie Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons. Okay. Um, Stephen Chow is best known for Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer. I don't know if you've seen those two. I have not seen them, but I'm um, aware of their existence. He's one of those guys who does like, it, it, I, I would describe his style as live action cartoon. A mm-hmm. um, lot of like goofy action and like people in weird costumes um, this one is about a demon hunter in, I guess, feudal Japan. Um, not Japan, sorry, China. Um, who basically is, he goes around fighting a series of grotesque demons and, uh, you know, fighting with and against other demon hunters. And uh, it's... It was pretty entertaining. Uh, it was not as as fun as I remember Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle being, mm. although it's been quite a while since I've seen either of those. But uh, it was it was good fun. I enjoyed it. Um, right. <clears throat> oh, and then I have uh, I have I have another themed another themed watch here. Excellent. So we had Friday the Thirteenth the other night. True. Um, I figured we should watch a. A movie to commemorate. Um, I have only seen Friday the 13th once, once, but I really didn't care for it, so I didn't want to watch Friday the 13th to commemorate. Fair. But uh, a sort of uh, schlocky slasher movie seemed like the the right tone. The thing to do, sure. Um, so we ended up landing on 1980's Prom Night mm-hmm. with Jamie Lee Curtis, um, which, as it turns out, is just a someone took the screenplay for Halloween and the screenplay for Carrie and then uh, wrote the most obvious ending that anyone has ever imagined Correct. for a, for a horror movie and filmed the whole thing. Uh, it was not very good. <laughs> the, the only thing that was particularly good in it was Jamie Lee Curtis, who has the same sort of like natural uh, uh, charisma and, and humanity that made her really stand out from everyone else in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Nielsen was in it as her father. I guess it was one of his last serious roles, but it's so weird seeing him do serious. Like, I kept expecting him to crack jokes. Right. 
but so yeah, you've seen it. It sounds like I have. Yeah, um, I was looking at my review because I didn't really remember. Uh, my review was: right. I don't really understand the cult status of this one. It's not very interesting or good. Also, it seems an unfortunate side effect of the time that all of the popular clothes made the supposed teenagers look like forty-year-old business. Women. Yeah, we, we we talked about that a little <laughs> bit too. There's one one bit in the middle in particular where Jamie Lee Curtis is wearing like a jacket with like elbow pads yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just looks like something that like an English professor would wear um, and there's oh and the other thing they also threw in a little bit of Saturday Night Fever uh, there's like original disco music and extended dance sequences as part of the prom night stuff um, and of course it's not as good as Saturday Night Fever's <laughs> So it doesn't stack up well in that regard either. And it's like, it truly does have the, like, the, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess spoilers kind of, <laughs> but it it truly does have the most obvious tw- quote unquote twist ending you could possibly imagine. I mean, uh, like I thought I knew who, it, I thought I knew who the killer was. It's about this, this, this group of, like fucking psychopathic 12 year olds uh, sort of half accidentally murder this little girl at the beginning. And then it jumps to them in high school, having never told anyone that this happened. And one of them is now dating her sister and like, and a couple of the others are like two of her sister's best friends. Um, But they're still keeping the secret. And, uh, and it's it's leading up to the you know the big prom night. They're all high school seniors, and someone starts killing them. Um, but it is it is like it literally tells you in the first scene who the killer is. <laughs> but it's still supposed to be a twist when you find out at the end of the movie. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, I, I had theory. I had a theory that I was sure I knew who it was <laughs> because I had immediately disregarded the obvious suspect. It's like obviously it's not him. But nope, no, it was, it was him. him. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, uh, I also don't because it does definitely have like a cult status. It's obviously not on the level of like Halloween. Um, but I think I su- I mean, I suppose there were probably a fair amount of people because this came out just like a couple years later. But there were probably people who saw this one first or, you know, saw it around the same time when they were very young. Yeah. And, you know, being as as uncondescending as possible. <laughs> I suspect a lot of people saw this when they didn't necessarily have the sort of discernment <laughs> to recognize it as a lesser imitation. And, you know, it's happened to us all. like that at that age. It sometimes will stick as a favorite. Right? That's that, true. That that's true. Thing. I suspect that's a large part of of what's going on with this movie because it's not very good. Fair enough. Um, uh, I did one thing on Mubi the other day. I watched a 1963 uh Pier Paolo Pasolini movie called La Ricotta, uh-huh. which uh, it's only 34 minutes long. I guess he did it as part of a an omnibus film okay. that um, him and um, a few other big European directors whose names I should know, but I'm blanking <laughs> on, contributed to. But Mubi had his section up. Apparently his section is the one that's considered to be worthwhile. Um, and it is about a director uh, attempting to film a scene, a crucifixion scene while his entire cast and crew just wants to goof off. Uh, and it has Orson Welles playing the director, oh, okay. which is what, that's why I watched it. Yeah, that's like, fair. I've seen some of, I've seen some of Pasolini's stuff before. He, in fact, 
he directed one of his most famous movies is The Gospel According to St. Matthew, which came out the year after this one. So I suspect there was some uh, <laughs> that is like one of the most famously like biblically accurate depictions of Christ ever made, uh, which is an interesting thing because he was uh, an avowed communist and but also a devout Catholic. Um, but he also did Sallow, which I haven't seen, but of course is like an infamous, infamous right. movie. Um, and a lot of other stuff, but, uh, I didn't really care for it. It was kind of dull. It was like, I, I think there's, there's definitely a comedic tone to it, but I didn't find it particularly funny. I think there's something about that, mm, mm-hmm. that brand of comedy that doesn't really land for me. Uh, the something about Italian film in general during that period, I find often doesn't land for me. And this unfortunately was not an exception. I was really looking forward to seeing Orson Welles as like an eccentric director yelling at his crew to shape up. But there was very little of that. He didn't even, he was not even really the main character. He wasn't in it that much. Okay. So <clears throat> disappointing. Yeah, unfortunately. that's too bad. But uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible and it's only half right. hour long. Like it's, it's a, it's an oddity. It's interesting, but not, not something I like. Sure. Okay. Um, finally got around to watching another thing for that uh, evolution of horror podcast that I've been listening to. Right. Uh, Beetlejuice. Ah, which uh, they, they did an episode on Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice. And I've seen Ghostbusters a thousand times, but I've only seen Beetlejuice once. And it was years ago. So I watched Beetlejuice, which uh, I, I think, in fact, this Beetlejuice kind of falls into the category of what we were talking about with Prom Night for a lot of people, I think. Like they saw it as a very young, at a very young age when like maybe they were a little too young to see it. And it, be, it for a lot of people, I feel like it was one of those movies that was like, it was one of their first exposures to like movie magic, right? Right. And also, it also gave them that thing of like, I'm watching a thing that, f- like, because there are definitely like horror elements to it. Sure, and, for like, sure. Like some kind of gross stuff. It's like you know, I'm I'm maybe watching a thing that's like a little bit too mature for me, but I'm getting to watch right. it. Right. Uh, so I, for a lot of this is that is at least I think part of the explanation for why this is, movie is a, a very high ranked favorite for so many people. Um. Not that it's bad. It is better than Prom Night. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, there's a, I mean, this is this was in the age when uh, Tim Burton <laughs> yes. was, in, was in his sort of unbridled creativity phase here. Uh, so there's a lot of just crazy set design and makeup effects and stop motion animation and all kinds of bonkers stuff like the the house that the movie is all set in you've seen it right years and years ago i i hated it but all i really remember is like like i personally really hate manic michael keaton that's just a thing i find it so viscerally unpleasant to watch so i don't know how i felt about the rest (laughs) i also hate michael keaton in this movie but he's not actually in it that much which I hadn't remembered. Um, the basic plot of this movie is a lot of fun. It's like this this married couple that live in this big old house that they've bought, and they just love their house and they love their life together. And all they, like they, at, at the start of the movie, they have taken a two week vacation and they're spending it at home working on the house because they love it so much. <laughs> That's what they want to be doing. And then they die in a car accident, and their ghosts are stuck in the house. And this family moves in, who are the opposite of the people that they want to hang out with basically uh, <laughs> the the the, uh, the mother of the family is um Catherine O'Hara who is fantastic always sure 
uh, and she's like this modern artist. They're like a New York family, and she's like this artist who wants to like redo the whole house in this like insane like modernist nightmare. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just it's like a classic old farmhouse, and she turns it into this absurd like artwork piece and like so that one of the things that's going on is that the house is like changing around them throughout the movie basically because she keeps doing this crazy shit to it uh so there's a lot of fun like design stuff like that um and of course it has a a young winona rider as their extremely goth daughter who is apparently so goth that she is capable of seeing the the ghost couple (laughs) that no one else can see uh the ghost couple played by alec baldwin and gina davis um I guess I probably don't really need to go through the details of the plot of this movie because I feel like for almost everyone our age, this is like a seminal film. That's true. <laughs> People know this movie. I just ha- was barely. We just didn't it. see but it. To me, up, yeah. right? To me, the plot felt kind of fresh. But I guess for everyone else, you're like, yeah, we we fucking know. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that that is that's a fun concept. Sure. Like yeah. that that basic plot is fun. I enjoyed it, and so the, like Alec Baldwin and. and Gina Davis's characters are like they're trying to figure out how to get this family out of their house so they can have it to themselves again, but they can't. Like they're not good at haunting and they can't figure out how to do it. And Michael Keaton's character is this like, I guess he's a ghost who who bills himself as a bio exorcist, so he 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 will come to to help ghosts eradicate living people from <laughs> from their spaces rather than the other way around. Uh, but he is like a gross predatory crass just not i i did not enjoy him either um i mean it's it's like an impressive performance because it's very like sort of off the rails and, right um you know he's he's going all out he's he's putting a lot into it for sure but it's not the kind of thing that i enjoy right um and a lot of it of course is played for laughs which doesn't play so well these days like it is recognized within the movie that he is a predatory character and gina davis is all like we can't let him into the house because we can't let him be in the same space as this teenage girl. Right. Um, but it's also still supposed to be kind of funny. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's a little awkward and doesn't play great. Sure. And, but he is, he's, he's barely in the movie until the third act. Mm. There's all this stuff that's kind of funny stuff that there's like this whole bureaucracy to the afterlife where they, they have a caseworker who is trying to explain to them how things are supposed to work. And like, they go to this like afterlife waiting room where there's all these like crazy, uh, you know, there's dead people all over the place who were killed in all these ridiculous, gruesome ways. And, you know, so there's a lot of like crazy makeup effects and stuff going on, sure. a lot of uh, prop stuff that's really good. So like most of it is kind of fun to watch on that level. Um, so I, I would say I enjoyed it overall, uh, but I I can't imagine it ever becoming a regular viewing experience for me. Fair. Um I am not like a diehard Tim Burton fan by any means anyway. Uh, I've seen most of his movies, but I don't think I've really loved any of them. There were some that I really loved when I was younger. I haven't rewatched most of them in years, so I I don't know. I did really love Ed Wood when I saw that one. What's that? But I've only seen that. I really loved Ed Wood when I saw Ah. that one, but I've only seen that one once as well, and that was a very long time ago. Same, same. And I'm not particularly pleased with the fact that they are apparently doing a Beetlejuice 2, which I suspect will have Beetlejuice as the main character. Ew. So, I mean, I don't know that for sure. Maybe it won't, but that seems like the yeah, just you know. to the anyway. whole concept. <laughs> I mean, I am, I am, I am pleased at Michael Keaton's career resurgence yeah, in the last yeah. few years because I do think he's a great actor, and I think he's been doing some really fucking great work in the last few. Years. Agreed. Uh, but I didn't need him to come back to this. Room. No. Um. <clears throat> okay, so I'm almost done here. 
and then, okay, so yesterday, went to see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I saw it last Friday. What did you think of it? Um, I thought it was okay. I did appreciate that, um, even though I don't actually like Sam Raimi that much, it's just so unusual to have a MCU film where you can see a director's handprint. That mm-hmm. um, the, be- that the best bits of it were definitely the Sam Raimi-ness of it, even though I am also not a huge Sam Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of most do, of but... the movies that he's clearly going off of here, but I did appreciate <laughs> yeah. that that was there. Um, my biggest, I, I thought, um, I can't remember her name, but the the girl who played the character America, she, she played Dawn in the Babysitter's Club on Netflix. Oh, okay. She's, I didn't know her. I hadn't seen her before. She's fantastic. Uh, she does just great. I don't know how to say her name. I don't know how to say it. Her name starts with an X. It's X-O-C-H-I-T-L. Uh, and I, I am, I am hesitant to attempt to pronounce that. <laughs> That's out loud fair, uh, but she does great. Format. She's, she's fantastic. I really felt like my biggest complaint. It's so weird because we go to this movie and I'm like, oh, it's only, it's only two hours long or two hours and five minutes. Like. For Marvel, that's that's bizarre. Um, and then and when I came out of the movie, much to my shock, I was like, I wish they had just put the extra half hour in there because <laughs> what I wanted, like, look, I, I know I was a bigger fan of the third Spider-Man, the most recent Spider-Man movie than you. But like, I think that one of the things that we definitely <laughs> determined from the third Spider-Man, and I assume you agree, maybe I'm wrong, um, but is that is that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is great with teenagers. He has like a really great vibe uh, mm-hmm. with teenagers. He's really charming. He's really just like like I feel I love. It never feels sexual. It never feels like weird. It always just feels mm-hmm. like genuinely genuinely kind. I, I, I really like that. I, I think that's great. Yeah, no, he, he he seems to like sort of automatically fall into like a cool. Exactly. And it's great. Yeah. And I was just like, why can't you just let the movie breathe a second? Like, I, <laughs> I like these people. I like like, I mean, you know, I don't I am not the hugest of MCU fans, um, but I there are many of them that I like. And I like, you know, let him have a fucking minute. With America, let him have a minute with Benedict Wong, who he also has just great chemistry with. Uh, right. Like my, and- my favorite, my favorite scene in this movie was the scene with Strange and Wong and America sitting in a coffee. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I wanted more of that. Movie. Yeah. And I just, it just felt like every time I was like, "Oh, good, we're gonna no. Oh, good, we're, no. We we have to we have to jump mm-hmm. to the next thing." And I also felt like I don't really. I wish that they had had, like, I think that what I've landed on at this point is that I wish the movie had been half an hour longer, had had one to two more scenes, but similar to the coffee shop, like you were saying, something like that. Um, And I wish that they had taken some of that time to actually stop in one or two of the other dimensions. Like the shot that we see in the trailer Mm -hmm. of them, like, you know, hurtling through dimensions is a cool shot. But like, I was like, can you imagine if, especially, especially on the heels of everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm just like, you could, you could have, like, why couldn't you stop and spend a minute and a half in the paint dimension? You could have done like a cool, Mm -hmm. like weird animated short film thing. You could. I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder if the people working on this movie went to see everything, everywhere, all at once and were like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, like I talked about when we talked about that movie, my thing about how like these movies are never they never have the nerve, right? They're never as the weird as or the budget yeah. or whatever to get really weird, and that movie finally did. 
yeah, this movie falls exactly into the kind of thing that bothers me. Like, well, and I feel like there is actually, I will say that, and spoilers, well, I won't give very much in the way of spoilers. I will only say that for me, the way that Wanda played out in this made me feel better about WandaVision in retrospect, um, because I was bothered I, by the end of WandaVision. Um, and I, I was glad that it played through with some more serious consequences. I actually do appreciate that. Yes, of course, Elizabeth Olsen doesn't get to do as much acting as I would like. It's a lot of laser fights, but overall, as far as the arc goes, I appreciated that it made me, it made me less, uh, cynical about WandaVision. I, I kind of agree with you, but also I feel like it completely undercut her whole character arc in WandaVision. And I didn't think her character arc landed in a convincing place at the end of WandaVision. And I think the way this follows up her character is probably a better way to do it. But it still felt weird that it seemed like this the way the way this movie started with her character, you if you hadn't seen WandaVision and you watched this first. I feel like you would have to assume that WandaVision ended on a completely different note than it actually Potentially, but another thing I do appreciate about this movie, because I'm me and not everyone feels this way, um, is that I was glad that really to fully get the movie, you did have to have, in fact, watched WandaVision. Um, yeah, and I, I, mean, I appreciated that. But uh, Right, because you otherwise, like, who the hell are these boys? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, what are we talking about? What's happening? Yeah. Um, so uh, there were things that I liked, and I was surprised to walk out of a blessedly two-hour Marvel movie and go, man, I wish that had been two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> and that they had just yeah. let it, they had given us a little bit more time with these characters. Like, just let the characters be charming. Just let, All of these people are very charming. Just let them be charming at each other. And also... Um, and also, uh, I wish that they had spent a little bit of time in one or two, not even a lot, like a couple minutes in like a few of the other, uh, the other, uh, dimensions, because I feel like that it, other, rather than America, just like telling him about <laughs> dimensions, I just, I feel like that would have been better. Um, I, and then, you know, there's like a whole scene that involves like music back and forth towards the end that I thought could have been way cooler, but like sort of just didn't I felt it was unclear exactly what was happening there uh like I the concept is kind of cool but it didn't really feel like it fit into anything else that was happening and I I wasn't super clear on what exactly yeah no I would agree with that um so so yeah I mean it's it's yeah I think I gave it a three or three and a half I enjoyed watching it well enough but um I wish it had been better this is interesting you liked it more than I did uh it's one of my least favorite of the Marvel. Oh, did you see? I thought it was top uh, mid tier, like no, like high mid tier. It's, it's it's definitely lower tier for me. Okay. Uh, the the stuff that worked for me was mostly the Sam Raimi stuff, which was fun to see. Um, and like a, like a, so one thing where we diverge pretty sharply. Um, <laughs> I did not think the actress who played America was particularly good. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, maybe I, maybe I I'm it, biased. I don't know that it was. I don't know that it was on her. It might have been the writing. Uh, but I didn't think she was very convincing. Maybe I'm biased uh, also, because I'm immediately charmed by her. I love her. Yeah. So that could have had an impact. But I thought she did good work. Uh, I also thought it was an interesting choice to have her character be named America. Yeah, I thought that Everyone was weird. in the movie is constantly talking about the need to save America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, I, yeah. Just a weird, weird choice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's whatever. That's fine. Um, 
I th- so I don't actually. This is speculation on my part. Obviously, I don't actually know this, but I, I don't know if you recall before Sam Raimi came on to direct this. It was supposed to be directed by Scott Derrickson. I think his name oh, is yeah. who directed the first one. And he was getting geared up to direct this one, and he was talking in the press about how like this is going to be a legit horror movie and all this stuff. And then they fired him and hired Sam Raimi. Um, I suspect, and I could be wrong, but I strongly suspect that he was fired because he wanted to make a sequel to Doctor Strange. And Mm. Marvel was like, eh, our story's in a different place now. (laughs) That's not what we want to do. Because, like, the whole, I mean, I guess, spoilers for the end of the first Doctor Strange, you find out that Shuatella Giafor's character is the villain. Like, they've, they've been building him up as the villain this whole time. And clearly the arc of the story as it's going at that point is that he is going to be the villain going forward. And he's not. Yeah. Like, he he does show up in this one, and there's kind of references to, like, yeah, he hates me back in our dimension or whatever, but he's not the, he's not even a particularly important character. Yeah. Um, they they want Wanda to, to carry that part of the arc, and because that's where their story is at this point. Uh, and I so there's some kind of, like, there's some stuff like that that just feels... It doesn't feel like it coheres with the story as we've seen so far. Mm. Um... And, you know, I suspect Sam Raimi probably, I don't know this. Maybe Sam Raimi's the biggest MCU fan in the world. I have no idea. Uh, but I suspect it was more like, you guys are going to give me $200 million to have a big octopus monster that I can rip its eye out? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Because <laughs> I don't think it's very, you know. But, and the, the, this is very spoilery, so skip ahead, I guess. There's a whole, like, 15 minute action sequence in this movie that relies entirely on just the most cringe inducing cameos that they have had yet in the MCU. And that I makes fucking no fucking all sense of that. incidentally. And then yeah, and, and then they, they they just brought them in for the like, oh hey, it's that person. Oh that person died. They're dead now. Oh no. And they're I dead because it. they're stupid. And like all of them except right, exactly, for exactly. Uh, all of them except for the one are stupid. There's no re- what. What the fuck did you think that you were gonna do, John? Yeah. What did you think you were gonna do with right. your rubbery self? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I would have been okay with the ones who were like having Carter there. Sure. As, like okay, that's cool. Uh, the different Captain Marvel, okay, but bringing in Krasinski as the Fantastic Four guy. And bringing in, man, they I don't know what the hell. They're, they're just going to keep trotting out Patrick Stewart. Like, they're going to prop his corpse up in that wheelchair when they... I mean, I'm it. hoping that they don't. And, and that now they're just like, he's dead. And maybe they'll get someone else to play him, but probably not. Maybe. He's going to die eventually. Well, obviously, well, that's what I'm saying. They're just going to keep rolling <laughs> his corpse out. Obviously, someone else has played him. They have already handed off the reins. That's true. But they're still trotting him out. That's true. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just, didn't care for any of that. I just hated all that so much. And it was like 15 minutes of the it movie. Was it was lot. one of the major action set pieces. And it was just painful. I hated it. And they could, like, you know, I don't, I don't think they needed to add half hour to the movie. They could have cut all that shit out. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> they they, the point they is I wanted a half hour of different content. And I would have been willing yeah. to accept it as an additional half hour. Yeah. So... Yeah, I had I had a lot of of pretty serious issues, and as we have talked about when they we talked about this when we talked about Wandavision, and it f- seemed like they were they were starting to like tease the multiverse thing, and I expressed my concerns that that is going to be a very bad idea. It is going to be the death of any kind of coherent storytelling in this universe, and 
as much as I would have liked to be proven wrong, I feel like that is playing out. Uh, I don't feel like this phase of the MCU has any particular direction. I've I've enjoyed, like, I really liked Black Widow and Shang-Chi. I really liked both of those. So I felt like it was off to, like, really strong footing. But neither of those are really that. I mean, obviously, Black Widow is a prequel. Right. And Shang-Chi is mostly disconnected. I mean, I will say that I'm not sure when we were watching... I mean, I, probably it was narratively more cohesive, but I, I will say that, like, in the beginning of, like, even phase one or whatever, I don't think it was clear where they were going. So I'm willing to give it a little bit more space to see what it plays out to. But I will agree that the the narrative coherence is, is iffy at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm not convinced. Okay. That, but we'll see. We'll see. I, again, I would I'm still I would still be happy to be proven wrong. Sure. But so. This was my last movie, and this makes a perfect transition <laughs> into my TV because I have more reason for doubt. No, that's, that's <laughs> because, fair. Yeah. Because, of course, Moon Knight is, I believe, the current low point of the MCU. It ties with Falcon it was and Winter so bad for me, but all the way through. Uh, I did like the penultimate episode. That was the only episode I cared about at all. And I was like, why didn't they give all these characters motivations before now? Um, but then the last episode was stupid, so I didn't care. Yeah, it was. But the next show, was, and I am still hopeful. The whole thing was just so goddamn lifeless. No, it was. And like, it was. I don't, and I, I, I never really felt like I understood what the villain's plan was supposed to be. Like, he's making these weird communes all over the world, I guess, that no one has noticed, even though one of them is like in the middle of London. Yeah, I don't know. And it just didn't make any sense. You're not wrong. And yeah, and you know, there was a, the fact that you know, the, there's like a there's a there's a sassy black hippo. There there was like a the sassy last two black episodes hippo. that's I guess supposed I think that was supposed to be funny and like okay, at the end we get the what's her name character it's supposed to be like a triumphant moment when she decides to become a slave to one of the gods because the god that she chooses is a sassy black hippo. Yeah, I, I, I didn't care for it either. I just I am still hopeful because the next MCU show is Miss Marvel, which is about a Muslim superhero, which is pretty cool. Yeah, although there was a very clumsy setup for that, too. There was. But nonetheless, <laughs> that doesn't mean that the show will be bad. And I yeah, am I, I am still I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still open to the idea of being turned around on all of this. Uh, but I agree. Moon Knight sucked. <laughs> it was so bad. And it was partially I mean, like the. Um, a couple of the guys who who like directed a bunch of it were um, blanking on their names. So let me let me pull up the page real quick. But they they're like a directing team who had done a couple of like really low budget sort of sci fi movies that I really liked. Mm. Uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. They did a movie called The Endless, and they did one called Spring, mm. which looks like you saw and liked. Yeah. I loved Spring. I, I don't I remember it, but movie. I know I saw it. <laughs> uh, it was it was like kind of like a romance, like a sort of low-budget romantic drama that ended up being like a fantasy thing because the woman was like a... She was some kind of fantasy creature. I can't remember what it was. And The Endless is on my list um, because it's like a cult thing. Right? It's a cult yeah. thing. Yeah, it's exactly. It's your. Uh, it's my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I really liked both of those movies and they, they just, you know, they, they're interesting, creative guys. So when I saw they were involved in Moon Knight, I was like, you know, that, that's that definitely seemed like a boost. But I don't I don't know what I mean. You know, I, I guess I should stop expecting the 
I should stop being excited by who the the directors are of these things. That's probably true. Right? <laughs> I mean, but uh, oh, okay, brief brief regression here in our conversation because another complaint that I had about Doctor Strange <laughs> was that in Doctor Strange we have this whole like inter-universal bureaucracy to deal with travel between universes, but it seems to be a completely different inter-universal bureaucracy to deal with travel between universes that we saw in Loki. I know. I was disappointed by that. Like what? They set that whole thing up and it was so well put together. It was great, yeah. And they just did, like they could have, they could have just plugged that right into this. Absolutely. And it would have, <laughs> like it would have, it would have tied things together, and it would have been much more like visually interesting. Agreed. And they just completely ignored it. So, like, are they are they just are they retconning that now? Is that not they're retconning it already? It's been a year, and that's no longer a I thing. I mean, season two of just, Loki is still coming. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's just anyway. Th- that was another thing that I no, I that's just fair. I felt like it had there was so little interest in feeling like part of a bigger thing. Yeah. In the interesting ways and like a slavish commitment to being part of a bigger thing in the less interesting. Ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, yeah. Anyway. Okay. And end of rant about the current state of the MCU. Um I have been watching other TV. I'm watching the new season of Atlanta. Okay. Uh, which do you watch Atlanta? I can't remember. I watched the first season and I always meant to get back to it and I just haven't at okay. this point. So Atlanta is great. I've heard and that. at this point it has it has become like you know, the first season was kind of this like low-key comedy drama about this struggling rapper and his friends. Uh but it it has now it seems to have now just become a uh, a creative playground. Um I've watched four episodes of the new season and only two of them even have the main characters in them. Hmm. Uh the other two are about completely different things. Um including the first episode. The first episode of the season is I guess I won't I won't get into it, but it's really good. Okay. It's it, it seems to be they they just seem to be taking the opportunity to make like little weird short films and also keep telling the story of these same characters. Um but it's it's really good, really well acted. Uh good stuff. I'm very much looking forward to to finishing this season. Um, Are you watching Under the Banner of Heaven? Not yet. No spoilers, please. Morgan and I are going to watch it all at once when we go to North Carolina. Gotcha. Uh, I've only seen the first two episodes. I think there's four out now. Mm -hmm. Um, I've only watched the first two, uh, but it's it's good. Uh, It's funny that, like, I was a big fan of that book, and I know you love the book. I did, and I do love Andrew Garfield. (laughs) Yeah, I don't love Andrew Garfield the way the internet loves Andrew Garfield, but I like it. Andrew Garfield since long before the internet loved Andrew Garfield. Well, no, I, wasn't, I wasn't necessarily I wasn't necessarily looping you in with that. But, uh, um, but it's you know it's funny because I, I read that book a few years ago now, and I've read a few other Krakauer books. I really like him. I did not think of Under the Banner of Heaven as being a true crime book. Really? That was not that was not how I categorized it in my head. I literally didn't remember. The, the background story of this murder. My, oh. The stuff that I remember was all the big picture history of Mormonism. Sure, the FLDS and, and all that. Polygamy. But like, that's the stuff that I remember. That was the stuff that I found interesting. I don't remember this plotline of this murder. Oh, story. Well, I, so I do. <laughs> it's, it's all playing out as a bit of a surprise to me um, so far. Uh, but it's it's good. I, I like it. Cool. Um, and let me see. Uh, we're almost done with Our Flag Means Death. Have you watched any of that? No. 
I think you would like it. Maybe. On, like, I know you're not into the Taika Waititi thing, but, like, it's funny. It's fun. It's very gay. I know. Which I wasn't <laughs> particularly expecting. Trust um, me, all my feeds are talking about it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard. Uh, I know that's. You know, I'm that's sure I will watch it eventually. I just me, cannot I muster in the enthusiasm at this point. Yeah. But I will. I think we've got one maybe, maybe I'll love it. Maybe I will. I just, yeah. I haven't had a ton of TV time. Yeah. Um, I think I had one other TV thing that I started. There's oh I watched the first episode of We Own the City the new um, oh yeah I have that on my list but I haven't seen uh, Simon shit what's his name the guy who did the wire yeah um it would it's a, a a mini series he did about for for HBO about the uh, the now infamous Baltimore Gun Trace Task Force that turned out to be just like a straight up criminal enterprise <laughs> um. That whole story came out a few years ago. I remember reading a little bit about it at the time, but I don't know a lot of the details. And so, you know, his his sort of like street level journalistic approach to filmmaking, I think, lends itself pretty well to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, The Wire. Sure. He, he knows his way around cop stories and, uh, and Baltimore. The first e- first episode was really really fucking good. Cool. Um, I haven't. I think there's three out now, and I haven't I haven't got to more. But um, did you see that the new season of uh, uh, <laughs> hacks. Yeah, I, I watched the first two. Episodes. Just, I hadn't even heard that there was a second season coming out. Oh, they I they, heard they anything they, about they it, and I opened the app as soon as the first season was out. Well, like I knew that they had renewed it, but I hadn't heard anything about it since oh. then. And I opened the app yesterday, and it was like, here's the first. I watched the first two episodes. It was great. Okay. Yeah, I'll get to it. There's so much. There's so much. There's so much TV right now. Yes, Beth. I know. <laughs> I feel like there was a lull. For a while, I, I agree. I, like, I agree. There just isn't. There just isn't that much. And then all of a sudden, like, like fuck. in the last month, <laughs> in the last month, and going forward, yep. there is so much. I still the the Better Call Saul. The last season is airing right now, which means that Netflix has the fifth season. I'm always a season behind on that one because I don't have the AMC app. Uh, but I haven't even got to watching the fifth season of that yet, uh, even though it's one of my favorite shows. Um, the new Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten to, to that either. Any no. of that yet? There's so much. There's a lot. There's too much. It needs to stop. Um, <laughs> just like a, a month or two pause, please. <laughs> yeah, just give us all a break. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think I think that covers it for me. Okay. Finally, I think I'm done. All right. Okay. So, um, I watched way back in April. I watched a Frank Capra movie called Lost Horizon. Um, that was expiring off of Criterion in April. So I watched it and it wasn't a Frank Capra movie I'd seen in 1937. Um, it's, it's very racist. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. It's uh, British diplomat Robert Conway and a small group of civilians crash and land in the Himalayas and are rescued by the people of the mysterious Eden-like valley of Shangri-La. Um, and so they spent... <laughs> So he spent a bunch of time with uh, Shangri-La people, some of whom are supposed to be Asian. Um, None of them are Asian, to be clear. Uh, (laughs) It's uh, like, you know, that Capra gentleman made good movies, like was good at making movies. So, uh, you know, it was pretty and it looked cool. And boy, it was pretty racist. (laughs) So Yeah. (laughs) uh, But I did watch that. 
And then Morgan and I have been watching through Sam Raimi, reminding me of how I don't like Sam Raimi. Um, and so we watched A Simple Plan, which is a movie that I remember considering renting multiple times when I was like in my studio when I was like 20, 19. Um, but I didn't because even at that point I was pretty like, even if I couldn't have expressed, it, I was pretty sure this is not the kind of movie for me. Um, and I am correct. It is not the kind of movie. For no, me. it's that. Yeah. Guys find a suitcase full of money and do everything wrong with. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Since and just I've like, it. and just like slowly turning on each other and everyone is like, nope, hate that shit. Hate that shit. Um, well made of yeah. course and great and good acting, but I just, it's, it's like literally if you wanted to write a movie, like one of the storylines you could write that would least appeal to me. <laughs> It's that storyline. So. I've only seen it once. It was a long time ago. I remember liking it, but I, I don't remember it very well. It is definitely one of those, like, a lot of people talk about that movie as, like, one of the great movies of the 90s. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton and uh, Bridget Fonda, mm -hmm. I think. And, um, like, it's, it is it is a good movie. It is just a not a good movie for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I watched Clueless with Morgan and Mel, who had, neither of whom had ever seen it. Um, still great. It has issues that a lot of nineties movies have issues. You know, they like use the R slur and things mm -hmm. like that. So it has like sort of those issues, but I still think overall it works out remarkably well. And the fact that Amy Heckerling did not become like a monumental directing success, like she directed Clueless and Fast Times at Richmond High. <laughs> She, yeah, that's interesting. If she it? had been a yeah. dude, they would have been handing her movies for the rest of her life, even if she never directed anything good again. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's yeah, that's hard to argue. It's absurd. The fact that she was the fact that she managed to make those two movies is a miracle. Right, and she made and, two movies know, that are and like not not just those. She made other stuff oh, that sure. people still remember. But like but the, that made very, these like yeah. cultural imprints. And just, mm -hmm. oh, it's fucking, it's it's infuriating. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then I watched another movie. I really got to figure out how to pronounce his name at some point. Um, the Drive My Car dude. Uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Oh, Hamaguchi. Hamaguchi. Yeah. I watched another Hamaguchi movie, Asako 1 and 2. I have great news for you. I can't remember if I told you this last time. I don't think I did because it was still in April. Um, the five-hour happy hour movie. And also Asako, and also the other movie that he made last year because he made two movies last year. Yeah, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. And one of them was yeah. Drive My Car. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, mm -hmm. they are all still up on Criterion. They seem to have extended their. Um, okay, so. you know, I movie put up Happy Hour a couple of days ago. It's so good, uh, Joel. It's so good. I, I believe you. I I would love to watch it. I would be. Stunned if I managed to find the time, but I just would watch it. And it honestly, it has natural pause points. Like you could, you could yeah. watch it in sections. Anyway, we watched Asako one and two, which um, was from 2018 by him. I did not like it as much as I had liked Drive My Car or Happy Hour, but yeah, I did like it. I just the ending didn't quite land for me. Um, it's a movie about like this girl who falls in love with this boy as a teenager, and he. And one day he kind of disappears and a few years later she's like living her life or whatever and she meets this other guy who looks just like him um, and she gets with him and ends up falling in love with him. But then the first guy becomes a model and she like sees him again. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Sounds confusing. Uh, but it is, uh, it's, it's interesting and there's some really great stuff in it. I just, I didn't love how it ended. Okay. Um, next on the film school rejects list was You Were Never Really Here, which I had not seen. Um, oh, okay. did not like it. 
but that's okay. That doesn't surprise me. I, I didn't love that movie the way a lot of people did. But Very skilled. I remember uh, I appreciate the talent, uh, but again, not for me. Yeah, Lynn Ramsey is something. She is, and I, I'm glad she exists in the world. I The reason I hadn't watched it was because I was pretty sure I wouldn't like it, and, you know, yeah. here we are. But that's fine. I We saw it. Um, then I watched uh, Beach Rats, uh, which was a 2017 movie um, directed by Eliza Hitman, who most recently directed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Which I the never maybe sometimes always, um, mm-hmm. which I, I think we were both on record as having loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that Eliza Hitman should have made a movie about white gay men. I I just I it it felt like it was made by a straight person. Um, and okay. the ending is really like, there's a lot of, there's some interesting stuff in the first half of the movie, particularly the direct, the, um, the actor who plays the main character is really great. Um, but the end is violent in a way that just felt gross. And I just, I, I did not care for it. I'm not the only person to have criticized her on this and she got kind of defensive, but, um, I, I, I just, mm, mm. Uh, <laughs> okay. and then I watched spaceship earth. Which uh, is a documentary about uh, the people who, uh, in 1991, who made Biosphere 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So um, I think this was a good movie, and there was a lot of things in it that were super interesting. And even though I was alive when this happened, I don't remember it, like, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those things. But also, unfortunately, 10 minutes after I started the movie, the um, draft of the Alito Roe v. Wade thing came, dropped on Twitter. Uh, um, so it is very possible and, in fact, probable uh, that I was not paying as close attention to it as I could have been because of the yeah. sudden panic. So um, so that's no fault of the movie. I think it's a good movie and an interesting documentary. <laughs> I just was, yeah. Mm. Um, then I watched a movie on Criterion uh, called I'm No Angel that was a Mae West and Cary Grant movie. Uh, okay. From 1933, pre-code. Um, Mae West wrote all the dialogue for it. Uh, and I ha- I, I've i seen her in a couple of things. Um, it took me a bit to, like, to, like, adapt to her whole vibe. Like, um, but once I did, I was like, oh, no, I get it. She's super fucking hot. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like she mm-hmm. just, like, drips sex. Like, it's. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I haven't seen much of her stuff, but this one is the one that the line that you may have heard before: uh, "When I'm good, I'm very good, and when I'm bad, I'm better." Sure, uh, comes yeah, yeah, yeah. from, uh, which is a great line. Uh, it's 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 really enjoyable. It's like eighty minutes or something, and it was it was fun. I I liked that. Okay. Um, and then Morgan and I watched a movie uh, directed by Ursula Meyer. Um, who I don't know if I have seen other Ursula. I'm looking right now. It does not appear that I have seen other Ursula Meyer films. Um, it's called Home, and it it has uh, Isabel Huppert. Huppert? I'm probably Huppert. probably uh, murdering it, but you know, um, and other people who I have never seen, um, other French people, and it is uh, about this woman who lives with her two kids and her husband, uh, like right next to this like stretch of highway, but the highway is closed. So they have just sort of like this idyllic little life where they like set up pools in the middle of the hallway and the highway and they like sit out like it's just sort of this like idyllic life and the kids go to school. She never seems to leave the house. Um, But then they open the highway 
Um, and she mm. won't leave for mental health reasons, it seems. And the movie just becomes increasingly claustrophobic and horrible. I will say, as a spoiler, I guess they do not all die at the end. I really thought they were going to. <laughs> Um, okay. At least I don't think they do. I guess you could read it that way, but I don't think they do. Um, mm. But it was it was really compelling. It really um, I I found it like sort of a creeping horror thing that that really worked for me. And I mean, Isabel Huppert is obviously great. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we already talked about Doctor Strange, so I'll I'll mm-hmm. let that go. Um, and then Eric and I watched Gone with the Wind, which I had not seen in years. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm prepared. So it, it, briefly on my background with Gone with the Wind, I read the book of Gone with the Wind when I was like maybe 19. I was old enough that I should have understood a lot more about the Civil War in the South, but due to my upbringing, I did not. Um, so I did not understand it as like the pure propaganda that it really was. Mm-hmm. But what it also was, was that when I read that book, I had never read a, car- a character like Scarlett O'Hara. And I... I'm honestly not sure that I still have. Um, she is so she she's she's not good. I mean, she's a good character, but she's not a good person. But she's so determined. Her like sexual agency is so intense. Her like she's just like she's really compelling. And her and Rhett Butler are really compelling. And like not but but and the movie is so fucking racist. Like the entire thing hinges. <laughs> on like just all and like it's so hard to figure out it's so enjoyable it's a four-hour film that is so watchable and has such incredible sequences and her and Rhett especially looking at it now read very kink type to me not super healthy kink but definitely read as kink and I understand a little more now why I was so into the into the vibe when I was young Mm. um and you know I mean Clark Gable is great uh you know uh what's her name who plays Scarlet is great. Uh, it looks beautiful. They're incredible sequences. Like all of this is, and it is, it is Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee. And it is fun to watch. And it is wildly racist. And just like, it is, it's really, it's really hard to even figure out like what to rate it or what to do with it. Because I'm just like, look, like when I'm talking about like birth of a nation or whatever, like that movie is super racist and may have, you know, had some important contributions to film or whatever, but I don't enjoy watching it. Right. So yeah, no, that, that that one's a little bit easier to talk about because it does have like it basically invented a lot of what are still modern film techniques. Exactly. But as is often the case with movies that invented new techniques, like it's interesting to see that, but it doesn't make the movie good. It doesn't make the movie good, and I don't like watching it. But I do like yeah. watching this movie. Would I be able to like watching this movie as much if I was not a white person? I don't know. Probably not. Um, so it's yeah. just it's a, it's a wrestling with my own. Like I did really enjoy the four hours of watching this movie. Um, and felt very complicated about that and still think that Scarlet is a great character. And it's just, (laughs) it's a lot. I've only seen it once and it was a very long time ago. So, and Eric felt the same. He wrote a much, Eric wrote a much better, uh, um, review of it than me. But, Mm. um, anyway, and then I came to Seattle the next day and Morgan and I went to go see Petite Maman. Oh, I still haven't seen that. It's so good. Holy shit. It's so good. Um, it's just, it's, it's fantastic by, uh, Celine, is it Siama? Celine Siama, yeah. yeah. Um, who, did, who most famously did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, and who, uh, it just, it real, real, and she's done other things too that I've seen, but, um, it, it feels like a beautiful short story. 
turned into mm-hmm. a movie. And I don't, most of the time when I say that, that would be a negative. Uh, <laughs> because, mm-hmm. But it's, it's 75 minutes long. Um, it's, and it, it, they're really, you could probably tell the whole story easily enough in 30 to 40. Um, but it, she just lets it breathe. She lets it, and especially just so soon after having watched Doctor Strange, um, it was just, it was, it was a balm. <laughs> it was beautiful movie. Just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that, that is, that might be the, the highest priority for me of movies from last year that I never got around. Absolutely. That one in licorice pizza. I still haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> so you saw that. So, um, and then we came home and we watched the last Sam Raimi movie that I hadn't seen. Um, Morgan watched the rest by himself, but, um, was for love of the game, which was stunningly boring. Uh, wait, that baseball movie, yeah. Kevin Costner, that was Sam Raimi. It was. Um, I, it's, uh, I never saw that, but I, it's, hmm. it's two and a half hours long. It's, uh, it's not even really that much about baseball. Um, although like the big climactic thing is he pitches a perfect game and I had to explain to Morgan what a perfect game was. And then I, and then I had to look up, um, how many perfect games have been pitched only 23, by the way. Um, uh, (laughs) and, uh, and so like, you know, I actually, baseball is the only sport I don't mind watching, but, um, but most of it is this just like stupid fucking tedious love story, I guess. And it all is sort of like kicked off because his girlfriend is like, look, I got this job offer in London that's like really good for my career. It's amazing. I think I'm going to leave because I don't think that you love me. Um, And he's like, what? Um, And so then he has like a midlife crisis about being an asshole. Um, A young Jenna Malone is in it as her daughter. Um, Hmm. And uh, and then at the end of the movie, he like and also his team is getting sold and they want to trade him. So he's, he's like in his 40s. So he's thinking about leaving baseball. So at the end of the movie, spoilers, I guess, for the 1998, nine, 1999 film Love of the Game. <laughs> uh, he hmm. he pitches a perfect game. And then the implication is that he's decided he is going to quit. And so then he goes to the airport because he's going to go to London to tell her that he still loves her or whatever. But she's still at the airport because she missed her flight. She was watching the game and they have this whole thing. And I was like, dude, great. You can just get on a plane. Just get on a plane and go to London. Like she has this career changing job. You're not doing your job anymore and probably have a lot of money. That does not happen. Uh, She doesn't get on the plane. (laughs) That's what happens. Oh, (laughs) it's very stupid. Uh, it made me very mad. <laughs> anyway. Okay. And then we watched Francis Ha, which I had somehow never okay. seen. <laughs> I did see that one quite a while ago. It was great. I mean, I remember like, I remember like, is great. Lot, yeah. It's, it's very awkward. It's, it's a good movie. Um, and then I watched, uh, with Mel and Morgan, the mo- do you remember the movie chef coming out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Favreau. Yeah. Did you watch oh, it? Favreau movie. I didn't see it, no. But I, I know a lot of people really liked it. It was one of those kind of like sleeper hit things that a lot of people were really into. It was a movie I had completely forgot existed. Like when they pulled the cover, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I remember this coming out. But I have never. It was it was a weird thing because like this was what he did with his Iron Man money because <laughs> he directed the at least the first couple Iron Man movies, right? There's a whole YouTube video up about how Chef is actually about him making Iron Man three. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Anyway, um, it's great. I recommend it. It's very charming. It's very sweet. It's just, it's just a good fucking movie. And 
I would recommend watching it. I was glad that I did. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. Yeah, it's it's been one of the you know I would watch it if it came up, but right. I haven't. It hasn't come up. Um, and then I watched on Hulu. It was expiring. Was Ben is back? Um, which I just had up there because I love. That was one of those like this is going to be a big Oscar contender. Yes. Movie. And then it came out and no one heard of it. Correct. Right? Um, <laughs> and that's valid. I think uh, Julia Roberts is. I mean, Julia Roberts is always great. That's that's just a given. Um, and Lucas Hedges is also always great. Um, and they were both great. Um, the movie is supposed to be about like the opioid crisis or whatever. I think it was somehow at the same time, both too preachy and not preachy enough in that there was a lot of like context that they really didn't fill in. And I was like, look, I know this shit because I'm a social worker, but like, Mm. I think you actually have to tell people what Narcan is. You can't just, (laughs) you can't just shut. Yeah. Like, and so and there's there's a segment in the middle of the movie where I mean the the basic premise is that her son who has been living in a like rehab sober living facility shows back up for Christmas unexpectedly and there's a lot of a lot of concern and stuff about that we never hear exactly what all he did before he finally went off to sober living but it sounds like it was pretty traumatic for the family um but and there, there is a scene where, like, basically in the middle of the movie, they go to, like, a Christmas service and someone breaks in and steals their dog. And he knows that it has something to do with him. So he's determined to go find who took the dog so that he can get the dog back for his siblings. Um, and she ends up going with him. And there's a sort of, like, almost road trippy feel as they go around. And that was the best part of the movie. It was it felt like she was really, like, like hearing him and, like, sort of entering into his world in an interesting way. And I thought that worked really well. Um, but the rest of the movie, not so much. And um, the end is really stupid. I, I didn't understand the end, honestly. Um, <laughs> so I would I, I would not recommend it, but her performance and his are great. Um, mm. And then I watched a movie called Kiss and Makeup that was a 1934 Cary Grant movie um, that was gross. That was he's like a plastic surgeon who is constantly, you know, making women from fat and ugly to beautiful um, and then they fall in love with him and then he falls in love with his not glamorous secretary who looks exactly the same as all of these other women. Also, just for fun, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of racism in there. Uh, sure. <laughs> so, so fuck that movie. I do not recommend it. Um, and then I watched uh, Love, Simon with uh, Mel and Morgan, who hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it since theaters. Um, I want them to watch Love, Victor. So uh, I figured we'd start with the movie. Um, and I hadn't seen this in theaters and it's still, it's still really charming. I really like it. It's, it's a silly yeah. light film and I appreciate the gays getting to have that, um, yeah. <laughs> as a gay. I went to see it in the theater. I remember. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's in the, the, I can't remember his name who plays Simon is really charming. Great. Um, and then Eric and I, the next movie on the film school rejects list was Swiss army man. So we grudgingly watched that. I still don't like it. Uh, Eric, I, I appreciate their purity of vision, but as someone who has never found a bodily function amusing in my entire life, um, and who just really hates like body horror ish stuff, I find it like viscerally unpleasant to watch. Um, mm. I understand that it's skillful, but it's, it's not my thing. I, I am also not generally a person who enjoys fart jokes, uh, but I do kind of enjoy body horror. Uh, in fact, I'm kind of fascinated by it. Uh, 
and I did I did quite enjoy that movie. I didn't love it the way some people did, but I, I liked it a lot. All right. And then uh, Eric and I, I, my brain was fried, and Eric and I decided to watch X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is one of the few things we hadn't seen. You just, you just figured you'd finish it off. Uh, fried. Yeah, just no. Just put it out of its good. misery. Um, it's, it's profoundly dumb, but it's it was funny. Yeah. It, I, I, that might be the... That might honestly be the worst of the X-Men movies. It's pretty bad. Uh, at least the ones that I've seen. There's a couple now that I haven't seen. But, but I enjoyed myself, so that's fine. Um, okay. And then TV-wise, uh, don't need to talk about Moon Knight anymore. Um, Morgan and I watched all of The Dropout a couple weeks ago, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, which is the, the show about Elizabeth Holmes and the Theranos thing. Right. There's a whole bunch of those right now. There are, and I plan to watch all of them. But there's like, there's like a million dramas about things going wrong at tech startups, and I couldn't give less of a shit about any of them. Um, by a million, you mean three. But yes. Um, I'm pretty sure there's at least four. There's three. There, the, the three major ones right now are the dropout, the WeWork guy, and the... Um, I can't remember the name of the other corporation, but one of them has James... Uh, has James Franco in it, one of them. No, but there's there's one about Uber, too. Yes, that's the third one. The third one is, is Uber. You couldn't remember the name of I Uber? I just was blanking on which one it was. Anyway, <laughs> um, but Joe Gordon Lovett is in that one. Those are the three. Those are the three ones. I'm, I'm almost positive there's another okay. one, but okay. Anyway, we're going to watch all of them, but we have not done that yet. We watched The Dropout, which I found very in- enjoyable. I have also watched the documentary about Theranos, listened to the podcast about Theranos, which... And then just finished reading the book about Theranos. So hopefully I will never have to think about Theranos again now. But um, mm. it's, it's a great performance from Amanda Seyfried. It's, it's yeah. Seyfried. 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 Her name really? rhymes with rye bread. Oh, I didn't know I that. I found this out recently. Yeah, I have no idea why, but apparently that is, All right. that is the correct way to say her name. <laughs> um, and then in terms of other TV shows real quick, uh, HBO has started back with uh, Made for Love, uh, which is an enjoyable show. Um, Hacks, as Joel said, which is great. Uh, Barry, been watching that with Morgan. Barry's the other thing. That was the other thing that I've been watching. I knew there was. I knew there was something. Been watching else. that with Morgan. It's fun to watch with Morgan because yeah. he's a drama kid. So it's, uh, okay. it's, that show's so fucking good. It's fun. I, I'm loving the new season of that one. And then also in terms of things that are great, Gentleman Jack is back, and it's fantastic. Oh, so I haven't heard about that one. Really. Oh my god! It's. I mean, I remembered. I remember when it started, but oh, it's so good. I didn't even realize. Like, I, if you'd asked me, I think I probably would have said it was a one-off. It was not. It's still going, okay. and it's great, and everyone should okay. watch it. Anyway, that's it. That's pretty much it. So that's okay. all my things. Believe it or not, this is this is perfect timing because I have twenty-five seconds left in my. Two I, I figure I was trying to rush it to make sure we would get there. <laughs> I figured it would be okay if we ran a, like a minute over because it's mostly you talking at the end here, and you could get my. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, we got fifteen seconds. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs> we'll do more Nazis in a couple weeks. Bye.